how do you go about making your voice sound like someone else's? And why would you? I'll be chatting to a bunch of people who can answer those questions and many more as they reveal the dark arts of impressionists. I'm Simon Lipson, and this is Making an Impression. So I'm delighted to welcome this week to Making an Impression, brilliant young voice artist and impressionist, Charlie Hopkinson. Charlie, how are you? Hello. Thank you very much for having me on. You've been posting YouTube videos and all sorts of stuff for a long time, and it's basically you to the mic with with a camera on you, and you've edited it and put it all down, and uh, it's brilliant stuff. How long have you been doing that sort of work? Uh, so I've been doing um, YouTube for about on and off for about six years. I've done impressions now for eight years, I think. So. Right. Does that suggest that you weren't really you didn't consider yourself an impressionist, or you weren't doing impressions in your in your teens and earlier years? Uh, yeah, not really. Like nothing like that you would consider like a celebrity or a well-known figure impression. I mean, I'm sure everyone makes fun of their friends and things like that. I think I had a bit of a knack for that, like doing it relatively accurately, but I never sat down and attempted to learn something until I was, yeah, 19. So, so going back to uh, school days, did you ever, you know, at that point think to yourself, no, I wouldn't, you know, you probably enjoyed the laughter and you enjoyed, you enjoyed the recognition. Did you go from there thinking... I'd really like to take this somewhere else or did that thought not form in your head till much later? Uh, I don't think it really did form. I'd, so I, I was enjoyed impressionist. Like I thought, wow, that's a really interesting thing. Looking at it from the outside, I didn't think it was like possible. I, was like, I couldn't see myself doing it. But yeah, like I always enjoyed the comedy side and always for, from about the age of like 11 have made way too many jokes. So that may be like, maybe in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, maybe comedy would be interesting to try at some point. Were you kind of a disruptive kid at school because of you know your your desire to to do silly voices and, and make people laugh? Initially, I wasn't. I was like followed the rules and everything like that. And it's, uh, ironically, like as people tend to become more mature, that's when I started getting in trouble. As I yeah. started, yeah, as you said, making more jokes in class. And right, uh, notwithstanding your slightly disruptive influence at school, you became a school teacher. I did, yeah. I was a maths teacher uh, for two years, 2014 to 2016. And what, what level were you teaching at? So up to lower sixth, um, so year seven to year 12. Had you been to university or teacher training? What was the, what was the route from, from where you... Yeah, so I did a maths degree. Then I was applying to financy style jobs, but uh, I wasn't getting anywhere. I think it was quite clear that my heart wasn't in it. So I applied. Have you heard of Teach First? Yes. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like a two-year training program, but you only get six weeks training in the summer, and then you just go straight into the classroom. So I did that one year after leaving uni. So you you were teaching kids from about eleven to sixteen, something like that. Did you ever find yourself tempted, or did you indeed actually use any of your <laughs> your vocal talents to I don't know to subdue trouble or to entertain or to deflect? Uh, I tried. Yeah, I, it was, <laughs> it was a, a tactic of diminishing returns. Uh, so what I would find is that cause I had, had a video on YouTube, which had got to 2 million views and some of the students discovered that about two weeks in. So that went around the school. Eventually it became sort of, that's what that guy was known for. And then if I had a new class and they were quite disruptive, they would still want to hear some of the impressions. So I could, that would like work about two, three weeks in. And then every time I did it, it would become less interesting and then yeah. just revert it back to. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of a, a, the law of diminishing returns. So you said your heart wasn't, wasn't in it. You were doing your two years. Was there a, a, a thought in your head at that point? Look, I'm doing my two years. I'm going to get a couple of years under my belt. I've always got this to fall back on, but really the, the longer term ambition is to use this talent professionally. Yeah. So like I, I wasn't a teaching that my uh, heart wasn't in. It was uh, when I was applying to like sort of office finance style jobs. Um, okay. But like, but that's not to say that I didn't have those thoughts in the back of my mind when I was teaching. I was like, I always kind of always planned maybe to do something, get qualified and have it as something that I could fall back on. Um, and I did enjoy like a good portion of it, but 
things in teaching that aren't enjoyable as well. So yeah, yeah. I have a much more leisurely lifestyle at the moment than uh, I did. <laughs> well, I can't imagine doing teaching Christ. I mean, you know, I was a difficult customer at school. So, you know, controlling Pete, and I was easy really relative to some of the kids you'd find in schools and, and wow, I don't know how you did it, but you know, hats off to you. So while you were teaching, you were posting videos were you also working in any capacity? So were you doing any stand-up? Were you doing some professional voiceover work? Or was it at that point a hobby that you were intending to extend into a professional sphere? I was working on Fiverr, which is low level, but like I guess you could make your money. So I guess you could say it's professional. Um, but that that's about it. In the back, like teaching took up 99% of the time. So I posted a video every four months or something and I did my voiceover work that came through uh, just whatever came in front of me but I hadn't, I hadn't touched stand-up until two years ago so I've been doing stand-up for two years if I look back at the videos I was making there, there wasn't as much effort that I could clearly put in at, at that time anyway so they weren't the best videos how were you able and what was the point at which you suddenly said you know what I can do this and I'm gonna do it I sort of came to the realization I was almost making as much money using 5% of my time doing voiceover stuff as I was as a, a second year teacher. Yeah. So that was like, oh, if I literally stopped now and I had the same year, then it's as much as I would make as a teacher anyway. And that immediately gives you that financial freedom. It's like, oh, let's see what happens if I use 100% of my time. But you were working as a, effectively freelancing on your own account. Were you looking for an agent to do voiceover work? And did you find one? Or where are you at now with that? Um, yes, yeah, so I have a, a voice agent. I don't have a performing agent at the moment, but I, I met Alice McGowan and Terry Minor on a project uh, for Avalon and uh, Terry helped me get uh, my voice agent. Yeah, and that was, I think that was a month before I finished teaching, so that was quite good timing. What were the, uh, the early voices then, the ones that persuaded you that you had this gift? Uh, Morgan Freeman was yeah. the, so that was the, the hook that got me to like, so I saw Joshua Robert Thompson so it's a viral video that he did sort of around 2010. Somebody posted on Facebook. Yeah. It's like, oh, if he can do it, then I can do it. Yeah. Uh, here we are eight years later and I still can't do it. But uh. <laughs> you do, you, You're Morgan Freeman, I would say, is pretty much the gold standard these days. <laughs> I mean, guys like us with you know relatively deep voices, we're all going to have a crack at, at Morgan Freeman. You've got a video on YouTube teaching people how to do Morgan Freeman, which is fascinating, and I've watched that. I'm not, I, I'm not saying I learned from it because I've got to pretend that as a professional, ex-professional anyway, I know how to do it myself. Uh, but you do <laughs> offer some interesting thoughts. What, so give me your, take us through your Morgan Freeman and the, the process of, of finding that voice and the accent. Okay. Uh, so Morgan Freeman, it's difficult now because I've done it for eight years and it's so muscle memory that it's actually, when I did that tutorial about a year ago, let's call it a tutorial. It's really, you can't really do a tutorial on an impression, but um, best attempt to uh, give some hints. When I, f I came to do it, I was like, it's actually easier for me to teach ones I've recently learned because it was years ago. There's like a few stages to it. So like, I see quite a few Morgan Freeman impressions that are just basic level Shawshank, try and get your deep voice as deep as possible, put on a Southern American accent, and then you're going to be in that sort of ballpark. So it's like mm. getting to that point. Um, so I'd say about two years in, I could do that. I could replicate the Shawshank narration with people recognized. Uh, give that give, voice give us a little, little shot of that. Cause I know you, again, you've got that on the video. You, there are a couple of phrases that, that you use. Sometimes it makes me sad. But then I have to remind myself that some things aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. That's great. And you've got all of the subtleties of the voice there. It's not, it's not just, you know, it's not just down here. I'm Morgan Freeman. That's, that's kind of a thread of Morgan Freeman. But you, you've got all the whisperiness at the end of a word. And you've got that. And you mention it in the, again in, the, in your tutorial. The, the lisp, very slight He's not sort of, yes, I know what you're saying, but it's, it's just there. Also, I kind of get a feel that he, it's channeling a bit through his sinuses as opposed to <laughs> probably bollocks, really. But you know what I mean? That's the sound I'm, I'm picking up. Do you feel that or is it you, which part of your throat or 
melt. Yeah, like, I, I think like there is a bit of it's really difficult to describe what you're doing because it's like <laughs> yeah. sort of like so trial and error that you don't know exactly where it's coming. But yeah. yeah, a little bit of the nasiness and the lisp is something that I do mention quite a lot. And people always tell me you're lisping too much, and I have to like bring myself back a little bit. And it's always yeah. like add something, and then you sort of like it's that iterative process of finding the perfect amount of that thing to add. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Because there is that tendency once a, a voice becomes kind of almost part of your your being that you slightly lose touch with it you you because you tend to then overemphasize the things that you enjoy <laughs> and you forget to you you lose some of the subtlety uh yeah that's an interesting observation I, and i always did you know ronnie corbett and then no ronnie ronnie good <laughs> really good which was which was that kind of thing which i used to have vocally i used to I, i'm there and then i started overcooking it you know because i was a stand-up so i'd be doing yeah. ronnie, ronnie, all over the place ronnie, ronnie, ronnie. and it, yeah. it I could feel I was turning it into a cartoon. That's yeah, well, that's the difference between impressionist and impersonator, isn't it? It's like yeah. I consider yeah. myself, I find it hard to get the comedy out of the voice in stand-up. I just try and get it as close to it as possible and then make a joke around what's happening. It's, it's generally funnier if you can find the thing that people recognize and emphasize it, and that's where the, like, the structure of the joke comes in. We'll come back to stand-up because we, having both done it, uh, I think there's a different, as you, as you allude to there, there's a different way of presenting an impression as a stand-up, and you're, you're striving for slightly different things than you would be when you're doing a voice for you know, perhaps an advert or a voiceover or something like that. So we'll come back to that sort of dichotomy a bit later on but i just wanted to to hammer away a little bit more at early voices you mentioned morgan freeman who else were you doing in your earlier in- incarnation my favorite voice i do is probably the second one i did which was uh ian mckellen as gandalf and i know you said that you're not a huge fan of uh, fantasy stuff but uh, i'm not i'm not a huge yeah. fan of fantasy stuff but i'm a huge fan of ian, ian mckellen voices so that's <laughs> um, far away yeah. ian mckellen is my favorite one that's just because lord of the rings is my favorite ever film so i thought what better voice to carry around with you uh, than that one so give us the genesis then of it, of Serena McKellen. How, how did you work that voice in? How, uh, how did I work on it? Yeah, so what, what, what were the things you were looking for and the things you were finding and get perhaps with, with examples? I'm sounding like a school teacher myself now. With examples, show you're working. Fortunately, I knew Lord of the Rings inside out in terms of the words that were used and the emotions of the scenes and things like that, which really helped. And I think that's partly why I consider it my best impression because all that mental prep is already there. Um, so I started with the, there's some really great monologues that he does in the films, uh, which I would just repeat along with and uh, change and tweak. So it started with the Gandalf as a character. And then once I had that completely uh, to the level that I wanted it to be, uh, I was then like, Oh, Ian McKellen as a person, it's close, but it's not the exact thing. So how can I, how can I make, take my Gandalf and be able to do it in those two different modes? And generally what it was, was removing some of the expressions that I was using for the Gandalf voice and uh, like the facial expressions and also adding more, a bit more energy and a bit more gesticulation. And then I felt like it gives a a good example. And then I would obviously watch more clips of Ian McKellen in an interview and uh, try and be more conversational. So let's hear that because you, you started, so would you say you started with a kind of a, a character cartoon and then you've subsequently found some of the kind of the nuances and the, the, the little characteristics that, that make that voice more rounded? Yeah, a, an observation of the differences between the character and the person. Like, okay, uh, two examples. Uh, so I'll do Gandalf and I'll do Ian McKellen. So do all who live to see such times. It's not for them to decide. All it is for us to decide is what to do. That is an encouraging thought. Which one was that? Uh, so that was Gandalf. Um, and then <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Ian McKellen as a more conversational. I don't know if you, you've probably seen this, my favourite scene in Extras, but... Uh, How am I able to act so well? 
If I were to draw a graph of my method, it would go something like this. Saiyan, 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 Saiyan. Wizard, you shall not pass. And then a cut, action, Saiyan, Saiyan. Gorgeous. I, honestly, the, 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 the first voice, you, I saw you lean into the mic there to, to really try and pick up all of your bass tones and the whisper and all of that stuff. And then you just rode back a little bit from the mic to deliver the second bit, which is obviously much more kind of celebratory and excited. And, and I think you've absolutely nailed both, both <laughs> versions. So that, it was good. The first one was, was gave me a little, make the hair stand up on me, a little goose, goose. <laughs> so that was your second voice. Let, let me ask you this. When you're developing a voice, are you spending a lot of time on the technical element of the voice and, and also listening to a lot, you know, listening to it again and again and again, or are you investing more? Because this was something Alistair McGowan was talking about. He was trying to find what motivated people. Uh, he talked about Kevin Keegan and th- th- it was all about the emotion of being this young lad who, you know, we'd worked hard and all that stuff. And he'd come up from the mines and all that stuff. And he, and he, he invested the voice with that, emotion if you like that character he did the same with beckham he described beckham as shy and that his mouth doesn't open you know that kind of thing uh, and boris you know boris who's out there he's very uh, you know always been uh, indulged and all that kind of stuff so he gave us all of yeah. those examples what are you trying to tap into first is it is it technique is it emotional is it is it a combination of everything yeah i think that's uh Really interesting point. I definitely agree with that. Uh, it's, it's that acting thing of what is yeah the motivation of the character. Um, because I generally do fictional characters. You have a film where the character's arc and motivation is all put on the screen. Um, so I definitely look for that. The very early stages is a case of finding the right pitch level and so the technical things. But I say the next level is the facial expressions body language and that motivation you can you can tell you've really got it when that motivation is like coming through for what's a good example of that so one that i it's not it's not necessarily a perfect one that i do but i absolutely love the character of walter white in breaking bad who has a very interesting backstory and that all i mean brian cranston does a great job of portraying it but it really comes through in his acting and it's Mm -hmm. i really like and enjoy trying to get that through in the impression. It's not the first thing, but that's a, the the like the, the the sort of the finishing layers that take it from standard to very good. I've heard you do this on your on your one of your videos, and it it's a knockout impression. Again, take just take me through how you how you achieve it. What you're doing? What the what are the things that all the little inflections what's the in the voice specifically technically yeah okay so i'll give you a, like a, just a little i'll give a little quote um so chemistry it is the study of change well that's all of life right isn't it it's just the concept it's the cycle it is growth then decay and that, that's, that's walter exactly. white in episode one really isn't it this is kind of that is that's the early level and then yeah. At the end, he goes yeah. far less animated and uh, sort of gruffer and less like expressive. Um, yeah. yeah, there are definitely some little things that I do to, uh, particularly with the rhythm of Walter White, which is as you just saw uh, me do there. I do the um, do the hand gestures, which is a classic hand gesture of him, and, the, and also the roll of the eyes. Uh, so he, when he is really emotional, like particularly when he's fed up with Jesse, he does this sort of. I can't. I cannot believe this is happening. <laughs> kind of uh, rolls <laughs> yeah. the eyes. Um, another thing he does is just before he makes a big, like a sort of an emphatic point. Yeah, he sort of takes a little moment to sort of do like a little grumble groan, like a, I, uh, uh, yeah, well, and then he'll make the point. That like gets the rhythm across and like that people recognize yeah interesting that because there's you know with evil walter i found the character to be almost more internalized you know it was almost because there was conflict first and then he thought oh, fuck it this is who i am now <laughs> and it was that gorgeous scene at the end with with skylar when yeah. he says i i liked it i did it yeah. you know i'm not going to give him any more excuses i liked it and i think that's it's interesting how his character developed 
but we'll get off Breaking Bad for a second in a second. But I just want to hear your Jesse because you you do a really great Jesse Pinkman. Yo, uh, the story for real. Like uh, Gus, what are we gonna do, man? <laughs> it's Let me ask you this: um, We talked a bit earlier about having a fairly low pitched voice naturally. Does that inhibit you in any way? Do you feel that there are impressions that you won't take on or are you faking impressions that are outside your natural range? Yeah, well, I think it's similar to a singer, isn't it? Like you have, you have your, your range and then you can go falsetto, but I don't have that like, which is probably the female range. If I try and do a f- female voice, yeah. I can do some of the lower ones. It's not quite perfect and I have to sort of clench my throat in a certain way to make sure the, the rumble doesn't come through. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I have a very clear sort of lower, generally older man kind of range. Yeah, I mean, you're, how old are you? Uh, 27. It's interesting. It'll be interesting as you go through your career to see where that goes. It's going to end up through the floor, I reckon. 150-year-olds <laughs> by the time. <laughs> Imagine so. Let's have a look at some of your higher range impressions then which ones would naturally fall in into that uh, good question none of them uh, <laughs> is attenborough higher range yeah well of course that's that's the sort of the whisper with a touch of falsetto isn't it yeah it's like here I, i'm not i don't do attenborough so i used to many years ago but i kind of did the the cod you know whispery thingamajig you know it's like that yeah. but i when you hear somebody like darren altman do it you know, it's a it's a whole different ball game. What, so give give us a <laughs> give us a shot of that because I'd be interested to hear how you're producing the sound. Yes, um, I'd say mine is like late stage Attenborough, like recent Attenborough, where he's yeah. like he's in the studio, isn't he? And he's like this sort of trailer voice. But uh, okay, a generation ago, the series The Blue Planet took us beneath the waves, but now. We know so much more. Take a deep breath. It's beautiful. And also you've got that lovely little whistle on the S, which is, a lot. I think a lot of impressionists miss that. And it's important, isn't it? It's an important little element of creating that sound. And as it happens with your voice, sir, you're pretty, pretty high-pitched with that. Are you sending that through the you know, your falsetto range or is it, is it just the top of your own range and kind of whispering over your vocal cords as it were? Yeah. I do the second one. I think yeah. like just at the top of the, the range, I'm yeah. Producing it from higher up, like yeah. in the, it feels like it's higher up in the mouth. You, you haven't got any acting training. Do you ever, do you see yourself at some point going into, into an acting career or? i love to try some i really enjoy it like whenever yeah. i've done some impressions based stuff and i've spent a day on set doing some acting i've really enjoyed it so i right. would love to do that but right. i'm aware that it's a, a long road to be able to do yeah it seems to me like a i know alistair mcgowan started out as an actor and has kind of reverted to uh, drama again you know, and, and also he likes musical you know he's very much into musical theater and I don't think impressions now enthrall him in the way that perhaps they did earlier on. Whereas I, it seems to me that watching you do your stuff on YouTube, you you seem absolutely in love with the voice, the production of the voice. I mean, is that, I hope that's not a, a mischaracterization, but it seems to me you, you really kind of lose yourself in, in vocal reproduction. Yeah, well, I think... It's partly because of the characters I choose to do. I love those characters. Yeah. So I, that's kind of why I do it. You can always tell that I don't enjoy the character because the impression isn't very good. I've tried to do Trump for money, but I can't watch him for very long. So it's always yes. like, it's like a really undercooked. I don't want to look at his nuances because like, it frustrates me too much. Um, yeah, I hear you. Don't get me wrong. I do like I chose Peaky Blinders partly because I know that it's becoming bigger and bigger. But like I choose those particular characters that I want to embody, um, which I think maybe gives you more enjoyment when you do them. And yeah. I like I like the reaction um, that I get when, particularly on stage, when I do one that I, I know I can get really close. But I'd say one really, I love the comedy. I'm not, I'm not necessarily want to do 
acting because I want to do something drama based. I like mm-hmm. I want to do acting so I could do comedic acting. You do a snippet of uh, Obama, don't you? I've, I've heard you do Obama because that would seem to be a very natural fit for you vocally. Yeah, like uh, it's not one of my best ones. I think uh, uh, YouTube comments have uh, let me know that, but like uh, <laughs> I, can, I can do like the, the classic. Uh, so, uh, my fellow American, let me be clear. Yeah, well, it, again, it's those little staccato sentences that, that you, you pick up on. You don't think you do that really well. So you put yourself out there, don't you, with YouTube? I've done a few videos here and there, and I'm, I'm way past it, to be honest with you. But I just do it for my own pleasure. But I, I tend to say to people, if you've got nothing nice to say, then if you didn't enjoy it, just go away. You don't have to tell me I'm shit because that's fine. I, you know, my wife can tell me that. But how do you deal with negative reaction? Because it's a, it's a very kind of dynamic response, an instant response to something that you've poured your passion into. And someone goes, oh, well, that's shit. Or, uh, oh, McGowan does that better. Or, you know, how do you deal with that? I'd say the only ones that actually genuinely annoy me is when they come from a real place of ignorance about the impressions. Like I, I do find it irritating when I know there's an impression that's really difficult and maybe I don't get it. So say I get it 80% right. And mm. I know it's not quite perfect. And then people come on and go, this impression of Kermit the Frog is way better. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. you have no idea about the, people, yeah, you just don't understand the process uh, behind all that. And that's like a really, a really obvious one where how could someone make that mistake but there are other things that once you know once you know the process and then someone makes a comment about it that has no idea then that's frustrating yeah Um, i find that's the only time that i get maybe triggered but i like i'd say 95 99 i can just let go Uh, yeah you get used to it what's the voice you do that in your opinion is absolutely nailed on that maybe other people don't appreciate or that you have no particular you've got nowhere to put it you you know you can't use it in stand up it it kind of goes over people's heads when you record it and stick it on youtube what what's have you got a voice that yeah that's a good question actually um so i'd say the best impression i do is mckellen and gandalf uh yeah. particularly gandalf like uh but in terms of most maybe most underrated impression i mean it's not very okay now but and this is more because not as many people have seen it but do you ever watch house of cards yeah, um, Frank Underwood. Yes. Um, so I can do a very good Frank Underwood. That if you've seen it, then yeah, to do it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. <clears throat> now, Claire, if you're to make vice president, well, we're going to have to make some changes around here. We have a saying in Gaffney: shake with your right hand and hold a rock in your left. That's uh, lovely, and it, it's you've got that kind of that slightly mannered delivery that. Spacey does, and I think that's that's great. It's interesting you mention that actor because clearly he's you know kind of uh, verboten now. We don't know one wants to have anything to do with him, and I think it's quite difficult when impression for, for whatever reason you know to do an impression is to be invite scorn. And I used to do Jimmy Savile for Christ's sake, so um, <laughs> you know that that was one of my you know one of my absolute killers impressions but uh, no one wants to go near that and Rolf Harris god help me moving on let's, let's go back to we were talking about stand-up and you started doing stand-up a couple of years ago was that to, to scratch an itch as it were or was it to in order to kind of platform your principal skill of impressions I wanted to try it. Like I always saw it as like a, a skill. So like looks very scary on the outside, and wanted to see if that I could do it. I think as an impressionist, it's not quite the same. Like you always have that in your back locker, which makes it. It's not quite the same um, when you're starting out compared to someone who is just going on and telling some jokes. Yeah, um, well, it, it's the it's the sort of the two. You've got two chances, really, haven't you, with impressions? You know, it's you've got the voice that can bail you out, but. Uh, you you can do a great joke and not not such a great voice. You've, you you know ideally you do a great voice and a great joke. But I mean I, I know my first six months I didn't have any jokes. I just used to do <laughs> Chris Eubank and stuff like that. <laughs> Did you find it terrifying? Because here you are, you know, you in in the comfort of your own home studio, 
knocking out voices. Suddenly mm-hmm. here you are in front of an instantly judgmental crowd of people. And that's that's different to the YouTube naysayer, isn't it? This is, God, it, it, laughing is the instant uh, re- recommendation. It's the thing that says this is great. And when they don't laugh, <laughs> you go off to, yep. you know, the sound of one hand clapping. You know that you were shit. So, how did you approach that? I was very nervous the, the first times that I did it. I, go, I always get the same reaction at one point. Like whenever I do Morgan Freeman, you always get like a, a hushed gasp over the room, almost it's like consistently with every room that I've been in. So yeah, yeah. I always knew I had that and I quite enjoyed that. Even though I think I have maybe better impressions, that seems to get the most, that's the most like uncanny, like why is that voice coming out of that mouth? It's a recognition thing where you don't have to be hilarious because they are blown away, kind of awestruck by that moment of fucking hell, isn't it? It's that. And, you know, I probably had at least one impression I could do that with. You you took that on. You, you weren't a performer. You weren't somebody who'd grown up out there, desperate to please, you know, the center of attention. This wasn't you. How did you get over that? hurdle because it's i mean i know from my own experience that i was a a, i used to be a solicitor and then when i was running some businesses and suddenly i walked onto a stage in crouch end and i thought you know there's a microphone and a light and i just thought what the fuck am i doing Uh, that's genuinely how i felt how did you get beyond that moment i think uh, there was possibly a performer in me that was like yearning to get out even though I'd only only done any stage stuff in primary school. I was more of a sports kind of person than a dramatics person at school. So I just put it all, any any like desire to do that, I guess I just put it to one side at school. And then as soon as I left school, maybe it's convenient timing, that's when I started doing something that was a bit performance, even if it was just on my own at the beginning. So I, I, I say I officially started stand-up two years ago. I did in 2014 before I started the teaching. I did the talent, the the teacher training talent show in front of 400 people, and that was petrifying. I bet because 400 people, even though they were like very warm and welcoming, like 400 people is a lot of people to go and do impressions in front of. I'd never done anything in front of more than five people before yeah. that point. So what I found, especially watching the footage back, was I clearly wasn't calm, and some of the impressions weren't as good as they could have been because, like. A, brushing them and not not setting yourself before you do them but my my friend gave me a bit of a pep talk before i went on actually which did uh, calm me down but yeah i'd say that was definitely the most terrifying stand-up experience where, where was your first stand-up then your first kind of formal you know in a, in a club type stand-up a small open mic uh, in leeds where i'm living at the moment yeah, so I, I did a, a stand-up course to try and learn the uh, the basics, which I think is not uncommon these days. Made some good friends uh, on the course and yep. still in touch. Have, yeah, you, have you ventured into uh, the, the London stand-up scene? I have, yeah. I've done um, Angel Comedy about four times now. Um, yeah. I did the Leicester Square New Comedian of the Year final uh, 2018. Those yeah. not a huge amount in London, but hopefully, yeah, more to come. I do like, yeah, sort of the stand and the glee club are the ones that have done quite a lot out, uh, recently. And I've seen you do uh, sort of challenge the audience type thing when you kind of bring somebody up and ask them to fire voices at you or names, uh, you know, na- names of celebrities at you. Is that quite freeing uh, because you're not? married to you know a, a set you know you're here you are someone saying do christopher walken mm-hmm. you just you can just launch in and and the gag is in you just doing it in response to someone saying do it so obviously like i'm quite early on in my career i'm still finding out what works and what's yeah. best for me uh, yeah. it's had very results so when it goes well it goes absolutely brilliantly yeah. but then there's also times when bring the wrong person up or you get something unexpected and you don't quite know how to how to get the funniest thing out of that situation which i guess comes with experience i think it's something that i'm going to stop doing for a bit and come back to when i'm i'm still not the fully com- like comfortable on stage like 100 yeah. this is just water off a duck's back to me like 
which you can see all the, the really established comedians clearly are like, yeah. maybe I'll come back to it a bit more at that stage to make things more interesting for myself. Cause it certainly put, uh, keeps you on your toes having to improvise something. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But also that's kind of that tests your comedy credentials, doesn't it? Because I think if you, a lot of imp- Alistair McGowan was saying to me that he went on stage with a tight script and he stuck to it. He said, I, you know, he wasn't an improviser. And, you know, if anyone took him out of that little comfort zone, he had issues with it. But I think if you free yourself up and just, you know, I think that's a great technique for kind of just letting things go. And you learn so much from doing that, I think. Yeah, great. Like, like, uh, to sort of answer a question that you you asked earlier, um, I think I started stand-up because I wanted to learn the skills of being funny and also see what people actually find funny. I wanted to learn writing skills and performance skills. Um, Not necessarily that I wanted to be a stand-up, but I don't think you can really learn to be funny in anything else but a live environment. So that's why I did it. And I think I've been proven right by my experiences. Um, I think my, like, for example, my YouTube videos have got a lot funnier since I started doing stand-up. Are there voices that you do where you can only hear yourself, but other people perceive it as a great impression? Because, I mean, when I used to listen to myself back, and I think this is true of everyone more or less that I've interviewed so far on making an impression, they can all, they all say, yeah, I can always, ah, I can, you know, there's 10 impressions where I can't hear myself, but the rest, nah, there's me, I can hear me. <laughs> where do you stand on that? Yeah, uh, I'd say it's ones that I've done so much. Like, I mean, sometimes with Morgan Freeman, I can just hear my own voice. And the, the ones that are not finished yet, you can definitely do that. Yeah, you have like your bank of sort of. I'd say I've got like thirty where I'm like pretty confident that there, there's not much of me in there. And then, as you say, you've got about 150, 200 where it's yeah. varying levels of success. Um, what what voice is is furthest from your natural voice? I'm just probably putting you on the spot here, but think what what um, voices do you do that you feel are very far removed from your natural timbre and your natural uh, pitch character from Peaky Blinders which is um, the female character Polly Gray that's like on the top of the range which is quite far and it's not the best impression but like I was surprised that I could get it anywhere near considering my range can we hear that Tommy Arthur is a problem he's a problem Tommy there you go. <laughs> so you, and you're morally, you're just doing that effectively in your male voice. Uh, you're not, you're yeah. not trying to falsetto it or, you know, do that awful thing that's so easily done, isn't it? For male impressionists trying to do a female voice of, of kind of faking a bit of falsetto in there. So you're, you're, you're feeling that through your natural process, your natural male voice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I think the reaction has generally been like, it's semi-believable. Yeah. And you, you do pretty well the whole of Peaky Blinders. And also you do all the voices from Game of Thrones. You do a bunch of voices from various cartoons. Maybe it's just a YouTube phenomenon of, I can't just do a video of one thing. Like I've, yeah. I've, I've got to do like a bunch of them. If you've spent the time watching the show repeatedly, it's that like memory bank of, I, oh, I've, I know these quotes and I know these, how these things are said, um, yeah. which is a lot of it. Like I think a lot of impressions is how well do you know that character and how much have you listened to them? It's going to be easier if you've already processed it. Your brain's already processed it. So they have to be programs that you personally enjoy, or are you going to set out and say, look, you know, what? I really like to get all the characters from line of duty. Example, yeah. um, but I don't like Line of Duty, and but I'm still going to try and nail that. So it has to be something you're kind of passionate about, in love with, or can you can uh, be a bit more dis- dispassionate about things? That's the pattern that has been established so far. Maybe if I become more professional with what I do, I'll just become the mercenary that can just crack it out, even though I'm not. Yeah. Just, I think, yeah, like. I can't sit down and watch the politicians. Um, It's all a bit tedious, isn't it? And and it's hard going. You know, I think that's Rory Brenner territory. He's got that. He's pretty much got that. Exactly. Like if someone's already doing it very well, then there's not much point. Whereas if a new big show comes out and I I do enjoy it, that's most likely what I'm going to do next. Not to say that I don't do the odd one, 
but even then I still have to find something I like about them. I think. Like, yeah. What about sport? I know that that was very much my area of, of interest when I was in my performing days. Uh, and I know McGowan, obviously Alistair McGowan was always brilliant sports impressionist. Is that an area you've got your teeth? Um, I've touched one or two. I've done like a Mourinho at some point. Like he's just yeah. always seems to be popping up. Um, yeah. Well, as I'm a Spurs fan, uh, I need to hear that. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two for them and three for me. No. Respect. Respect. <laughs> well, you, you instantly tapped into to the arrogance of the man. And uh, that's, that's great. Who else do you do in the, in the sporting uh, arena. Now, one thing I did do, and this was stupid, and this was like a few months ago. So, I, like you've seen on my YouTube video, I do this quick fire impression bit where mm. I just roll through some, like usually to finish the set. Uh, and I was in Cardiff doing my first ever set in Cardiff. And for some reason, this was in the middle of the Six Nations. And I tried to make a self deprecating joke about doing an impression of Eddie Jones. So I just read out Eddie Jones thinking, Oh, here's a self deprecating thing about being English. It'll be fine. Uh, and just, they heard Eddie Jones and they started booing me. <laughs> I was like, you haven't heard what I'm going to say yet. <laughs> Eventually I think I just about got it back, but yeah, that was ropey from that point onwards. Yeah. So you, you, you came up with that one on the hoof. Yeah, like on the way down, it was like an Australian accent with a bit of a, oh, you know, you know, like like just a few of his sort of ticks. Well, that was great because actually even with that tiny snippet, you were taking that through the the nose a bit. And I think that's the sound, isn't it? Um, Sometimes like it's, it's, yeah, it's more about the joke than the actual voice. uh, Sure. And sometimes like you try and invert the joke by doing something particularly bad or yeah, trying to just surprise as much as possible in stand-up. Right? So. What tends to get the biggest laugh then? Who, which character or which characters tend to get the biggest laugh when you're on stage? The way that I do stand-up, it doesn't tend to come from the voice. I tend to get a good reaction from certain characters, which is Morgan Freeman, Tommy Shelby, and then Jesse Pinkman and Tyrion Lannister uh, both get very good reactions as well. It tends to be that's the setup and then I'll have a punchline after it. So that's what gets the laugh. I guess people find it funny when I just do Mrs. Potato Head from Toy Story because uh, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Yeah, it might be that one. Yeah. <laughs> Quick burst. Let's, let's do that one. <laughs> <laughs> I see you pet your angry eyes. <laughs> I can see why. Um, that's, a, that's a nice one. It's, and also, again, it's kind of mostly speaking and presenting impressions in a fairly low range. So suddenly comes yeah. that sort of squirt that, that high-pitched voice out. And it probably comes as quite, quite a surprise. Yeah. What are your targets then? What are you aiming? You, you talked about acting, talked about kind of getting – stand up becoming more proficient and better at that longer term aims you've you clearly you know you've got an amazing talent where do you see yourself principally using that i have like a pie in the sky dream which is uh i love and always have loved animated sitcom comedy so the simpsons drama more recently rick and morty that kind of thing i would love to be involved or even like obviously at the very pinnacle like the showrunner of something like that writer voice uh, and just to be involved in that kind of collaborative comedic creation environment would be great also i'd love to do some comedic acting but at the same time i'm pretty happy as you said like maybe some impressionists don't think that like it's they're like oh i've done it for a bit and i'm done with that like i'd perfectly be happy just doing impressions as well. Are there other impressionists that you admire or that you unconsciously or even consciously borrow? I was going to say steal. It's not stealing. I know we, but I've talked about this with other, again, with other impressionists on the show that there's that element of, I can't, you know, you hear somebody do a voice. You think I could, I can't do that voice. Ah, yeah. I can see now how to yeah. do that voice because you've shown me the hook. Do you, do you find yeah. yourself doing that? I'm not, I've done it as much recently, definitely at the beginning and in the middle stages. And if somebody gets something that I really want to do, then I will, I'll def, if it's out there, then I'll go and watch it and look for it. But then I'll try and take it in a slightly different direction. I don't want to do exactly that impression. I'd try and add a 
different layer or something like that on the top of it or something. Um, for example, like the very first one I did, Joshua Robert Thompson did an absolutely brilliant Morgan Freeman, but then that was like a certain version of Morgan Freeman and I wanted to add like a, a way where he's more like conversational. So it's a bit like this. Uh, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you one thing, all right? I want you to listen. L- like a sort of a higher pitch as opposed to just the narration or yeah. thing. So yeah. like that's the example of like I'll use that to get to that point and then I'll go right with it. Like, yeah, yeah. Interesting that because I think people tend, when they do that impression, they tend to think of uh, n- narrator Morgan Freeman away, you know, and I am out the you know, here's my friend Andy Dufresne and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and it's, it's that Shawshank uh, overdub that tends to be the impression. It's quite interesting, actually, to hear you do a different version of the voice because all, yeah. all voices, all personalities, they have, you know, a, a whole range of colours to their voices. Mm-hmm. And I think as impressionists, you tend to pick out the, the photograph, the, the yeah. bits that people are going to recognise. But yeah. You know, there's there's so many other layers and other other nuances. So um, we're coming to the end. I just wanted to actually ask you this: Did, Have you ever thought of uh, putting yourself into the bear pit of something like Britain's Got Talent? Are you looking to make that kind of leap? Have they come for you? I mean, I would imagine they've they've been on on your case, have they not? Uh, yeah, I must have been over thirty times. I've been contacted. Really? Different. <laughs> yeah. just, I'm not like ruling out, but. I think like a lot of comedians, there's just something about not wanting to be portrayed in a way that's out of your control. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that editorial control is pretty important, which makes me think that I'd rather not do it. But that said, it, I think in certain circumstances, it can be beneficial to both yourself and the program then and yeah, as I said, wouldn't rule it out. But yeah, I mean, it's difficult. We have, I had this conversation with Danny Postill, uh, who got to the final a few couple of years ago, and uh, Darren Altman, who got to the semi-final uh, in I think 2016. I might be wrong about that date. Uh, each each had very different experiences and outcomes, and they they've, they've been after me as well. I've been retired for ten years. You know, they are casting the net wide. But one of the problems that you know, I've explained this on a different show that, you know, that they, they do control everything. It's not how you do your thing. It's how they want people to see you. And yeah. also they, they're going to try and control your life with the paperwork. You know, once you've signed your, signed your life away yeah. to, to psycho, that's it, you know, and it's, it's pretty difficult to, I guess, to break free from that without some damage to your career for, for what it's worth. I think you're better off not doing it and um, because you're going to find your way. There's no question with the quality of, of voices and range of voices you do. Uh, there's no way you can't take it to the stage that you want to take it to. Let's finish with something that I've been doing in all the show. Well, two things that I've been doing in pretty well all the shows, which is uh, an Alan Rickman off, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I, I can do three noises from Alan Rickman. I've heard yours and it's, way better than mine but let's have a little go at that um and then then i'm going to ask you to teach me an impression of your choosing so let, let's 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 start with um rickman sir but you you do a much better version so what, what, what are you doing with your rickman to to get that that occluded kind of it's almost like it's coming through a filter yeah no that was, that was really good but um uh, <laughs> The classic is to go through the nose, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. Took the lines from Harry Potter and <laughs> run with them. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that because I think yours is absolutely perfect, but I actually think mine's pretty good. And and I, but they're they're different. They're very different. It's interesting how different impressionists do different do the same voice completely differently, and yet it's still completely convincing to. Me, as long as you're not yeah. hearing them both together, I guess I know mine is paling in comparison to yours right now. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I always uh, this is the one I always roll out for this show, which is the uh, the line in Love Actually goes, "Oh, I've been a classic fool," something like that. Anyway, so it's it's, it's a lovely voice, and it's such a lovely fruity voice to get your get your tongue around. I think like some of it, like it's maybe it's our age difference, but my I've not actually seen that many Alan Rickman films, which is a shame because he's yeah. so good. So most of my materials come from Harry Potter. Watch more 
films. He like that is him doing a very specific version of himself, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but that will be that like difference coming in. Like I, I think I prefer his voice when he's not Snape. Yeah, but I have I haven't done enough of that to be particularly great at it. So give me let, let's let's now go through the embarrassment of you teaching me uh, a voice and me doing it very badly, and um, let's see if uh, <laughs> let's just see how badly I can do it. Um, do you have any? I mean, so just just to let you know, I've, I've had a go. I've been taught Fozzy Bear by uh, <laughs> Stephen Allen, it's Ian McKellen by Lewis McLeod. Can't think of the others right now, but there are a few that, and uh, you know, obviously uh, Robbie Savage, which was one that Alistair McGowan tried to teach me. I think I got it. Gave myself a five out of ten for that. <laughs> so um, I have no expectations of myself here, but well, let, let's give it a shot. All right. I mean, you haven't seen Peaky Blinders. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean I I wouldn't have a go at a voice. It means, you know, it's just a voice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, I could try. I could try to teach you Tommy Shelby, uh, okay. just because I know a few pointers. I think will help. Okay. It's a not very strong Birmingham accent. I promise my friend <laughs> Freddie Thorne, so a few words over his grave if it passed before me. Made this promise when we're in France. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. It's, it's quite. Uh, it's quite gruff. I'm, I'm probably too Birmingham right now. I, I, all I feel I'm doing now is a Birmingham accent with a slightly rough <laughs> sound about it. That's the starting point. Take a little bit yeah. off the Birmingham accent. The accent, yeah. Like, you, you don't even have to really say the words. You sort of, like, produce a low grumble with a slight Birmingham twang. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of, like, words that you can hit initially, which is, so at the end I said, France. 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 Like, if you sort of picture the phonetic. When we're in France. <laughs> like, when we're in France. When yeah, we're yeah, in there France. you go. Like, oh, you know what? France. Uh, yeah. uh, so, sort of body language wise, sort of furrow your brow a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah good. Yeah, yeah, uh, I got it. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing pin it. Your shoulders, pin your shoulders back with a little bit of a lean and a point like that. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. doing it. So, now, yeah. so, so give, it a, give it a go with those things. <laughs> and say, um, go on. Fighting for king and country back in France. Fighting for king and country back in France. Yeah, that's uh, pretty good. I'll give myself a seven. Um, yeah, just yeah, that's good. Just for giving it a shot. Um, look, this has been this has been great fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you are ridiculously talented, and I urge uh, listeners to making an impression to go to your. You've got a YouTube channel. I do. Uh, with tons of stuff on there, hundreds of voices, voices that probably some of our listeners will know better than I do because I know that you know we've talked about the fact that I don't always don't watch all of the shows that you uh, in, you know do voices for, but it, there's an absolute plethora of brilliant stuff on there, and I, I think you and you top it up, don't you, from time to time with with new stuff. So I do, yeah. uh, and you do you do requests by the way. I saw something people asking you to do voices that you then you know, do, do on yeah. demand yeah i used to do a impressions challenge sort of series yeah. um i stopped doing it because uh they were asking for too many new impressions i didn't know and not yeah. enough of the ones could do to bulk it out like yeah because it's like scenarios those characters to be in and it just became like oh do this random person from this show <laughs> yeah. do, do my dad yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're opening the door well look uh, whether or not you take on any more challenges it's a joy to go through that youtube channel it's been an a- absolute joy talking to you today and i hope our listeners uh, have enjoyed it as well uh, but for now thank you charlie hopkinson till next time on making an impression it's goodbye